production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone, and uh, welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, which is devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It's Friday, March 25th, and I'm Bill Kaler, CEO of Team NEO, the Northeast Ohio region's economic development uh, organization and the Jobs Ohio Network partner in Northeast Ohio. It's my pleasure to welcome you uh, to the annual Richard W. Pogue and Patricia R. Pogue Endowment, Endowed Forum featuring Robert Blue, who's the chair, the president, and chief executive officer of Dominion Energy. At Team NEO, we work with companies, public sector leaders, philanthropy, and other economic development organizations to align goals, advance strategy, and drive equitable economic growth in the 18 counties of Northeast Ohio. One of our outstanding partners is Dominion Energy. They are engaged with Team NEO at the board level. They participate in our Right Sites Council, which is uh, an effort that, to build a deeper inventory of readily marketable sites that can help attract business investment uh, here in Northeast Ohio. And, we, and they provide uh, excellent operational expertise as part of that uh, project work. It's uh, a, a key aspect to the, uh, to the project work that we do in attracting investment here. They're also engaged in key economic development uh, organizations in our partners uh, throughout the region, including the, the Greater Akron Chamber and the Greater Cleveland Partnership, and I'm sure others uh, that I'm forgetting. But as you can imagine, um, uh, this is a very important endeavor in our work. Uh, utility infrastructure is one of the most important factors needed for companies uh, to grow and thrive. And it's one of the most important factors in their investment decisions when they are considering Northeast Ohio. Dominion plays a vital role uh, in that work here in Northeast Ohio. And that's why I am excited uh, to introduce our speaker today. We are honored to have Robert Blue with us to discuss Dominion's goal of becoming a net zero carbon energy company by 2050. It's a goal the company has devoted uh, substantial resources against uh, in order to reach uh, their achieved or their anticipated outcomes. The hard work of achieving that goal continues, and that's a testament to finding opportunities amidst uh, all the challenges of climate change. This is part of an ongoing conversation uh, that our community is having uh, as we speak. In fact, last week on this very stage, uh, we heard from the White House Climate Policy Advisor, um, Sonia Agarwal. So, our speaker, headquartered in um, Richmond, Virginia, Dominion serves uh, more than 2 million customers in 13 states, including 1.2 million customers here in Ohio. Uh, Mr. Blue joined for, uh, 
Dominion Energy in 2005 and led various service and operational roles prior to becoming the CEO and president of Dominion Energy uh, in October of 2020. He took on the additional leadership role of chair in 2021. In his spare time, Mr. Blue is actively engaged in the energy industry and in the civic landscape, uh, including serving on the boards of Edison Electric Institute, the Institute of Nuclear Power Operations, the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond, sports backers and communities in schools of Virginia, and the Uni University of Virginia's Board of Visitors. What can we learn from Dominion Energy's progress and what is Dominion's strategy uh, behind a more sustainable future for their company and for the sector. If you have questions uh, for Bob Blue, you can text them to, uh, at, to the number 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them uh, at the City Club and we'll try to work them in as we go. Members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please Welcome, Bob Blue. Well, uh, thank you, Bill, for that uh, kind introduction. I I'm honored to be here. I'm, I'm honored and I'm a little bit uh, daunted, actually, for, for three reasons. One is, uh, just before I walked over here, up here, uh, Bill leaned over to me and said, presidents and kings, that's who's been on that stage before you. Uh, the second is, if any of you all do uh, post anything on social media, there's some chance my kids might find out. Uh, that's the only way I communicate with them, and, uh, and that might be embarrassing for me. But perhaps, perhaps the most daunting reason is that I'm speaking uh, at the Richard and Patricia Pogue Forum. And Mr. Pogue is here watching. Um, Mr. Pogue, uh, my colleagues who are here from Dominion Energy uh, may uh, tell you that I introduced myself as a recovering uh, lawyer. Um, and uh, I guess I'm kind of embarrassed saying that to you. I know you haven't started recovering yet, but <laughs> it's pretty good, uh, I've got to tell you. Uh, so I I'm a little bit daunted, but uh, I look forward uh, to offering some perspectives on a remarkable uh, energy transition underway in this country and across the world. Let me start by acknowledging the news that the deeply troubling headlines and pictures uh, we've all been watching out of Ukraine. In the energy sector, we tend to mark time in geologic terms, planning and investing not just on 10 and 15 year time horizons, but making decisions that shape our society for decades to come. What's happening in Ukraine, the fighting, the humanitarian crisis, together with the economic and diplomatic sanctions on Russia, shows how rapidly things can change in our world. It's a reminder of the need to be humble in all that we do, and the need to be ready to respond to fast-moving events. That readiness to act, mixed with a healthy dose of humility, was a big part of who my predecessor was at Dominion Energy, Tom Farrell. Tom was honored to address this forum eight years ago. He was an extraordinary individual. He had a clear vision of where he wanted to take the company and he understood the profound importance of reliable and affordable energy. He was also a mentor for a generation of executives, including me. Tom passed away 
just about a year ago on Good Friday, one day after retiring from our company. For those of us who knew him well, it seems like only yesterday. And yet so much has changed in that short time. In fact, as far as the energy sector is concerned, the eight years since Tom spoke to you could easily have been eight decades. We're in the middle of an extraordinary transition, one of the most significant shifts in how society operates since the Industrial Revolution. The new revolution is filled with possibility and promise for customers, for society, for employees, and for companies such as ours. I'd like to talk about that transition, about Dominion Energy's role in it, and the challenges we face. For our employees and for me personally, this is an exciting time. Why? Because we're working on the energy systems of tomorrow, innovations like advanced small nuclear reactors and clean hydrogen. We're cooperating with other electric utilities on a highway vehicle charging network. We're building the largest offshore wind farm off the east coast of the United States, 180 wind turbines, each more than 800 feet tall, 30 miles from shore. And we're even building the first US flagged offshore wind turbine installation vessel, the Charybdis, that will do the heavy lifting literally for construction of offshore wind farms up and down the east coast. At the same time, we know we can't get so wrapped up in tomorrow that we stop paying attention to today. In high change environments like the one we're in, we have to take care of the fundamentals. For us, the fundamentals start with reliability. The number one concern people have about energy above cost, above the environment, above anything else is reliability. They want service around the clock, 365 days a year. And trust me when I tell you that providing reliable energy is much harder and much more complicated than those of us in our industry make it look. Our customers take reliable service for granted because we in our industry have done it so well for so long. And we know from painful experience that a failure of the energy system can inflict tremendous suffering and even death. Look at Texas just last year. 246 people died in that blackout, including 158 from hypothermia. Along the way, 4.5 million people lost power and property losses reached almost $200 billion. That's a catastrophe, plain and simple. A couple of months ago, we had a natural gas service interruption in Akron in the middle of a snowstorm with temperatures in the single digits that was caused by a water main break near Akron Children's Hospital. Fortunately, it did not become a life and death situation. But the incident was a reminder of the important role we play for our customers and a reminder of the dedication it takes to serve them. And I appreciate everyone who worked around the clock over a weekend in bad weather safely to resolve that incident. When we talk about taking care of the fundamentals, that's what we mean. And while reliability remains our customer's top concern, affordability is a close second. Having natural gas and electricity available is not terribly helpful if you can't pay for it. We always try to be mindful of the impact we have on customers' pocketbooks. At Dominion Energy, that means making sure our rates are competitive. In fact, they're below national and regional averages. That also means making sure we have ways to help people when they go through a financial rough patch, from payment plans that help people get back on track to direct assistance. That became especially important during the pandemic, which is why we took a number of steps beginning in the spring of 2020 to bolster assistance to customers who found themselves in crisis. That included suspending service disconnections for non-payment, 
and increasing support for energy assistance, among other things. Reliability and affordability, those are fundamentals. These days, I would add a third, sustainability. Our vision is to become the most sustainable energy company in America. Being sustainable means taking care of the world around us. It also means acting in ways that serve multiple constituencies, customers, shareholders, employees, and the communities where we live and work. We see ourselves as part of the broader social fabric. We're honored and humbled to support the work of Ohio groups supported on community support and social justice, such as the Urban League of Greater Cleveland, the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland, and the Women of Color Foundation, and Birthing Beautiful Communities, which supports pregnant women facing the highest risk of infant mortality. One initiative that came out of the unrest over racial inequality in 2020 is something we call the HBCU Promise, a $25 million commitment to historically black colleges and universities. As you might have gathered from the applause, two of those are here in Ohio, Central State University and Wilberforce University. Uh, leaders from those institutions are here today, and we thank you for your service and support for students. And I was particularly pleased to see that next week, uh, the forum will be hosting Mary Schmidt Campbell, the president of Spelman University, about the important role of HBCUs in our country. Now about this energy transition, I should make clear that the transition underway isn't likely to go away. It has momentum and it will almost certainly accelerate in the months and years ahead. That is almost inevitable. I thought about describing it as inevitable, but as a longtime University of Virginia basketball fan here in the middle of March Madness, I recognize that little is inevitable, and if you don't know what I'm referring to, just Google UVA UMBC sometime. More importantly, those three fundamentals I just described, reliability, affordability, and sustainability, are governing and will continue to govern the pace of the clean energy transition. If we don't balance them correctly, the transition we all want could be derailed. I'm sure you understand these fundamentals are interrelated, and there are trade-offs between them that we must be mindful of. Too much of a focus on achieving lowest cost risks eroding reliability, for example. Overinvestment in unproven energy sources in the name of sustainability could make energy unaffordable and potentially unreliable. So let's look a little more deeply at the way these three fundamentals, reliability, affordability, and sustainability, shape the clean energy transition. Motivating everyone, of course, is a concern about climate change and sustainability. Dominion Energy recognizes the threat climate change poses. Our company is committed to doing our part to address it. The UN recently provided a sobering warning there's no time to waste. But it's not all gloom and doom. The truth is America is making progress. EPA figures show that from 2005 through 2019, which is as recent as the data gets, total greenhouse gas emissions fell more than 11%, even as our economy grew. During that period, more than 90% of all cuts in carbon emissions came from the energy sector. Everything else, government, transportation, industry, the housing sector, and so on, everything else, contributed less than 10% to our company's prog country's progress on climate change. As a result of these efforts, the energy sector is no longer the leading source of greenhouse gas emissions in the country. Today, transportation holds that dubious distinction. What made these reductions possible? Remarkable technology breakthroughs with respect to natural gas and renewable energy. Breakthroughs that allowed our industry to begin decarbonizing affordably 
and reliably. New drilling techniques have greatly expanded the domestic supply of natural gas. The shale gale, as it's been called, was the subject of Tom Farrell's talk to you eight years ago. As he said then, it enabled our country to throw off the shackles of energy scarcity and allowed for energy independence. But this natural gas revolution also enabled the power sector to shift away from coal for electricity generation. That shift is a major reason we've been able to cut carbon emissions so deeply. Coal used to make up about half of Dominion Energy's electric generation. Last year, it was 11% and falling. We've replaced much of that generation with natural gas. We're going to shut down most of our remaining coal-fired generation in Virginia and plan to do the same in South Carolina by 2030. Now, you may have heard critics say natural gas should have no role in the clean energy future. They say gas is an obstacle to the transition underway and we should rely entirely on renewables instead. Some even argue natural gas is just as bad for the climate as coal. Don't believe it. In 2019, the International Energy Agency issued a report on the role of gas in the energy transition. The IEA's conclusion, coal to gas switching reduces emissions by 50% when producing electricity and by 33% when providing heat. That's what progress looks like. In addition to natural gas, technology advancements in renewables are adding momentum to the energy revolution as well. Look at solar, which has seen dramatic cost reductions. According to the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, since 2010, the cost of residential solar has fallen 64%, and the cost of larger solar projects, like the ones our company builds, has fallen 82%. Those declines are largely driven by improving panel efficiency and more advanced hardware. During that same period, the past decade and change, improvements in materials, adhesives, and so on have made it possible to double the length of the typical wind turbine blade. Old fiberglass blades have given way to carbon fiber and much lighter substances. This dramatic increase in blade length, together with designs that are more efficient, translates into a significant increase in power generation. The types of turbines that we will install in the next three years will generate more than twice as much electricity per turbine as those we installed just a year ago. Advancements like these have made more rapid deployment of renewables possible, consistent with the fundamentals. And Dominion Energy's renewable portfolio has grown tremendously. In the past few years, we've gone from almost no solar generation to one of the largest solar portfolios in the industry. Last year, we welcomed, welcomed Hardened Solar just south of Finley. The facility which supports Facebook is our first solar project in Ohio. We're making strides with respect to offshore wind energy as well. Our coastal Virginia offshore wind project located 30 miles off Virginia Beach should be completed by the end of 2026. As I mentioned before, it will be the largest offshore wind farm on this side of the Atlantic Ocean, and it will provide enough energy to power 660,000 homes at peak output. But natural gas remains a core element of our plans. Switching from coal to natural gas has helped us slash emissions affordably, but that's just one way natural gas contributes to the fight against climate change. Think about the challenges posed by renewable generation. Solar and wind are wonderful energy sources. They're clean, the fuel is free. They are indeed sustainable. Unfortunately, they're not dispatchable. In other words, we can't turn them on and off to meet the ebb and flow of customer demand. The power grid is complex and needs to respond instantaneously to changes in customer needs and wants. And with renewables, the grid must respond instantaneously to changes in the weather, too. 
That means we need a backup power source to jump in when solar and wind aren't available. Batteries can address some of this need, but their use becomes more challenging in winter when days are short or during storms that can last several days. The best backup we have to meet these challenges is natural gas. Natural gas is not in competition with renewables. Natural gas supports renewables. Gas is the reason we've been able to add so much renewable energy so quickly in the first place. Gas supports grid reliability when the weather doesn't cooperate. There are, these are the major reasons natural gas will remain part of the clean energy future. Of course, here in Ohio, we're distributing gas to 1.2 million homes and businesses for heating and cooking, for manufacturing and other industrial processes. We know that customers in Ohio want natural gas, and we want to satisfy that demand even as we build a clean energy future. Our customers appreciate that gas is safe, affordable, reliable, and convenient. In this clean energy transition, one thing we've learned is that we must be thoughtful in local markets about striking the balance between gas and electricity. Going all electric doesn't necessarily mean greenhouse gas emissions fall. Independent analysis shows that in areas where an electric utility still relies on carbon-intensive fuels, expanding electrification can make carbon emissions worse. Here in Ohio, coal is the second largest source of electricity production. Your neighbor, West Virginia, produces four times as much electricity from coal as from any other source. In sum, keeping gas part of the energy mix is smart. Gas builds customer and community resiliency, and it's good for the environment. Natural gas is good economics, too. Here in Ohio, natural gas plays a huge role in the growing economy. From 2011 through mid-2020, capital investment related to just the Marcellus and Utica shale formations totaled 90-plus billion dollars, according to Cleveland State University. Our company provides natural gas to some of Ohio's largest industries. In 2020, for example, we placed in service NSG Glass North America's plant in Lucky, which makes specially coated glass for the solar panel industry. So I'd like you to pause for a moment and let that sink in. We're using natural gas to make solar panels. Once again, gas is not a competition with renewable energy. It's essential to renewable energy. In sum, cheaper and more abundant natural gas combined with cheaper and more reliable renewable energy have been critical to the balance that must be struck among reliability, affordability, and sustainability. We're also looking for ways to reduce emissions through investments in what is called renewable natural gas, or RNG. Some of you may be familiar with renewable natural gas. For those who aren't, it's fairly simple. Manure from pigs and cows creates methane. Instead of allowing that methane to enter the atmosphere, we capture it. We refine it into natural gas suitable for our customers' use. Methane is at least 25 times more potent a greenhouse gas than carbon. After it's captured and used by customers, RNG takes back more greenhouse gas potential out of the atmosphere than it puts back in. That's one reason we're excited about blending RNG into our traditional natural gas supply. Our partnerships with Smithfield Foods, Vanguard Renewables, and the Dairy Farmers of America are the largest farm-to-energy partnerships of their kind in the country. This growing program is essential to us achieving our climate goals. We're also exploring the potential for hydrogen. Hydrogen can do everything natural gas can do, but with zero greenhouse gas emissions. Like RNG, we want to blend hydrogen with natural gas serving homes and businesses. We've joined forces with Cleveland State University on a study that simulates the production of hydrogen using different methods and analysis on the business case for each. 
Cleveland State is one of our many partners in the Ohio Clean Hydrogen Hub Alliance, which will spearhead the Buckeye State's effort to secure perhaps $2 billion in federal funding for a hydrogen hub project. You can think of the hydrogen hub as something like Silicon Valley or North Carolina's Research Triangle. It's a way for hydrogen users in industry, transportation, and energy to work together to find ways to reduce emissions in every sector of the economy. This is a huge opportunity for Ohio's economy and environment, one with the potential for thousands of jobs and billions of dollars in public and private investment. We think Ohio is ideally suited to become a clean hydrogen hub. Ohio has tremendous natural gas resources and world-class research institutions. Moreover, hydrogen is already being put to use here. Another member of the alliance, the Stark Area Regional Transit Authority, operates one of the largest fleets of buses powered by hydrogen fuel cells in the country. I'm especially pleased to note that one of the Clean Hydrogen Hub Alliance's sponsors is the Gas Workers Union Local G555. I believe their president, Eddie Hall, and executive vice president, Paul Talbo, are here with us today. We're very grateful for their participation in the alliance and the great work they do delivering clean, safe, and affordable natural gas to our customers. So natural gas and renewables are working hand in hand to allow the industry to decarbonize. The clean energy transition is well underway and the need for action is acute. Why then, aside from my basketball skittishness, won't I declare it inevitable? Because if we fail to balance the fundamentals, there are clearly several ways this train can derail. First, within the natural gas business, we can make affordability and reliability our top priorities but if we go too far, we may lose our focus on sustainability. Why does that matter? Because if we don't keep sustainability top of mind, regulators may step in with approaches that are not as good for our customers and do not mesh with the need for reliable service. Communities might choose to ban natural gas altogether, which could have disastrous consequences for the overall energy grid. If we can't decarbonize reliably, the entire effort will fall apart. That's why at our company, we made a commitment some years ago to focus specifically on the sustainability of our natural gas business. We expect to decrease methane emissions from our natural gas infrastructure 65% by 2030 and 80% by 2040. Here in Ohio, we're reducing emissions by weatherizing homes, investing in energy efficient appliances, and replacing more than 5,500 miles of our 23,000 mile natural gas pipeline system. Over the last 13 years, in fact, Dominion Energy has invested more than $4 billion in infrastructure in Ohio. Taken together, these investments are making a difference. In one recent year, we increased methane savings on our Ohio pipeline system by 24%. Now, our company is not alone when it comes to investing in the clean energy revolution. But I will note that not every participant in the natural gas industry has embraced sustainability in the way they should. If they continue to drag their feet, our whole industry runs the risk of seeing regulations that won't serve our customers well in the long run. Now, failure to focus on sustainability is not the only potential risk. An outsized focus on affordability, particularly in an inflationary period like we're experiencing today, could lead to short-term decisions that result in bad long-term outcomes. Energy is capital intensive. Our own company plans to invest $73 billion in climate-focused capital through 2035. We don't yet see inflation as a long-term issue, and we're always mindful of the impact on our customers. But looking broadly, one concern is that inflation might prompt regulators with good intentions to slow essential projects out of worry over customer bills. 
That would be short-sighted. These projects take years to plan and execute. Even seemingly short delays could add to long-term costs while delaying benefits. One important plus that we shouldn't lose sight of, that projects we have underway will eventually help reduce customer bills over time. The clean energy transition could also be derailed by what I would call our country's infrastructure problem, leading to underinvestment in both reliability and sustainability. Well-intentioned environmental laws and regulations have made it extraordinarily difficult for companies like ours to build significant new projects. Let me, let me give you one example. Back in 2011, we identified the need for a transmission line near Williamsburg, Virginia, the Surrey Skiffs Line, it's called. Getting Surrey Skiffs approved meant multiple lengthy permitting processes involving more than a dozen federal, state, and local agencies. Many thousands of work hours and many millions of dollars added to the cost. We finally placed the line in service in 2019, after eight years. The story doesn't stop there, unfortunately. Due to extended litigation, additional regulatory reviews continue today, three years after the line was energized. The decade-plus permitting process has created approximately 20,000 documents, and it is still not completed. And this for a transmission line less than eight miles long, a transmission line that we needed in order to close a coal-fired power plant. If you multiply that by all the projects that will be needed for the clean energy transition, you can see how certain regulatory conditions pose serious challenges. If you think I'm exaggerating about the scope of the problem, ask officials at the University of California at Berkeley, one of our nation's premier public universities. Earlier this year, a court froze Berkeley's enrollment at last year's levels because of the impact of additional students on the environment. But for the intervention of the California State Legislature, the school would have been forced to rescind admission to potentially thousands of students the future leaders were relying on to confront the challenges facing our country and the world. Can you imagine anything more short-sighted? Fundamentally, we need to acknowledge our infrastructure problem, lest it derail much of what we need to do. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying we're against regulation. We aren't. I'm not saying we don't want to be held accountable. We do. I'm not saying infrastructure projects don't need a thorough examination to protect the environment and the communities we serve. They do. I'm simply saying the science on climate change is clear. We don't have time to squander, so we should use our time well. What would that involve? It would involve ensuring that all agencies and all stakeholders adhere to a public and well-defined schedule, a schedule that allows for concurrent reviews rather than sequential reviews. That alone would be extremely valuable. Using our time well would mean recognizing that each entity involved in the process has different expertise and different responsibilities. Clear communication about the scope of each review and information required would also be valuable. Using our time well would mean a streamlined effort among the host of local, state, and federal agencies conducting environmental reviews. The average time for completion of a review under the National Environmental Policy Act is now about four and a half years per project. Again, let me emphasize, this does not mean we want no review. It does not mean we want a cursory review. We want a thorough review, but one that has a defined beginning and a defined end so that we can move for forward smartly in the direction we all want to go. Finally, the clean energy transition could be derailed by the partisan divide. In essence, we could allow our partisan beliefs to trump any focus on the fundamentals of reliability, affordability, and sustainability. 
We all know politics today is hyper-polarized. Often people can't even agree on facts, let alone solutions. One camp is convinced we need to switch to 100% renewable power right now with no complications and no cost to society. Another is convinced renewable energy is a fool's errand that will lead to sky-high energy prices and frequent blackouts. Both of these camps, representing the extremes to be sure, are operating on a kind of faith and a strong belief that their views are right. Nothing you can say can change their minds. Well, the energy sector doesn't operate on faith. It operates on science and physics. And we need energy policies grounded in science and physics, not faith. We're always going to have to navigate the political landscape, of course, but we must recognize that the clean energy transition, which we all want, is at the end of the day an engineering problem. We can solve it through engineering, science, and innovation, but only if we remain clear-eyed and realistic. Can we do that? Can we complete all the work required for the clean energy transition in the limited time of we have available without getting derailed? Can we maintain the proper balance among reliability, affordability, and sustainability? I don't think we have any other choice. We can do it, and we will do it. The country's faced immense challenges before and has risen to meet them. The Great Depression, World War II, the Cold War, the space race. Once Americans set their mind to something, they can't be stopped. I know my mind is set. I know our company's direction is certainly set. We're determined to lead the way into the clean energy future, and we're eager for others to join us. I want to thank the City Club of Cleveland for its invitation to speak to you today, and thank you all for your kind attention. Hello, I'm Dan Malthrop with the City Club of Cleveland. We're about to begin the audience Q&A. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, and those of you joining us via our live stream or our radio broadcast on 90.3 IdeaStream Public Media. If you'd like to tweet a question, you can tweet it at the City Club. You can also text your question to 330-541-5794. That number again is 330-541-5794. We will work it into the program. May we have our first question, please? Thanks for your remarks. Uh, I wonder how nuclear fits into your uh, portfolio and also what types of energy storage technologies are you looking at other than batteries? So I'll start with nuclear. Uh, we operate, Dominion Energy operates a fleet of nuclear units today uh, in Virginia, in South Carolina, uh, and in Connecticut. And in fact, those units are far and away the largest source of carbon-free electricity uh, that we generate uh, at our company. And so when we think about nuclear, we start with needing to make sure that those plants continue to exist for some time in the future. Um, and so we're working on uh, both the regulatory process and the uh, construction process to make sure that we can do that. As you might imagine, at a, at a nuclear unit, there's, you know, some of these were first built in the 1970s. There's not a lot there today that was there when they were first built because of the kind of maintenance we do on those. We need those workhorses to continue operating into the future because if you take out that, say, 30% of carbon-free electric generation uh, that is on our system today, and then we have to try to replace that with something else, we have no chance of achieving a net zero goal by 2050. Uh, beyond that, um, as I talked about 
the fact that renewables are not, as I said, dispatchable, that means that the solar works when the sun is shining and, uh, and wind works when the wind is blowing. Nuclear runs all the time. And so as we think about uh, going forward, uh, we're, we're intrigued. We're looking at the option of what are called small modular reactors. You know, when the, when the nuclear fleet that exists in this country was uh, built, these, these were largely the pretty good sized uh, units. Um, they were all custom, built on site. Uh, the possibility of these small modular reactors that are, that are manufactured in a facility and then can be sort of set down on site, I'm, I'm oversimplifying quite a bit, but I'm a lawyer, I'm not, a, not an engineer. Um, the, uh, there are advantages from a cost perspective. And you know, we're headquartered in Virginia, uh, home of the largest uh, US naval base, Norfolk. We have small modular reactors floating around near Virginia all the time uh, on aircraft carriers and submarines. So um, that this, this is uh, a little bit different, but um, the concept of doing something a slightly smaller scale, but uh, not custom, just manufactured one after the other, I think has real promise. I would say for us, that's not something we would see um, deploying this decade, probably next decade uh, if we get to that, but there are definitely projects underway across the country to test out that technology and see if it works. Um, so I, I think uh, nuclear uh, has to be a critical part uh, of the clean energy uh, revolution going forward. And then the second part of the question was, um, yeah, thank you, on storage. So beyond battery storage. Well, interestingly, we operate uh, the largest uh, non-battery storage uh, form of storage in the country, which is called pumped hydro. Uh, two lakes, um, and uh, during off-peak electric times, water is pumped from the lower lake up to the upper lake, and then during peak times, uh, we can run uh, turbines as the water falls back down into the lo lower lake. Like battery storage, it is net uh, negative energy, um, but it allows us to store electricity. Uh, whether, I, I think it would be very difficult, back to part of my remarks, the idea of permitting something that size today, uh, pretty challenging, um, but uh, maybe some smaller pump storage. And then there is an enormous amount of research going on about uh, other uh, storage, battery storage, that's not necessarily lithium ion, none of it's quite there yet, um, but something uh, that can get to scale, and I, that's a challenge for a lot of people as they think about our industry. The scale of what we need to make this operate is pretty enormous, uh, and something that allows for storage beyond just a few hours uh, is really important. And that, frankly, that's where hydrogen can come in. The, the idea that you could uh, create green hydrogen and then use it maybe to run a, a, what today would be a natural gas power generation unit, use hydrogen in that role, um, I think that's, in essence, a kind of uh, storage. So all of those things are sort of being probed, looked at, the economics of them evaluated. So there's a lot on the horizon, I believe. Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to Cleveland, Mr. Blue. I'm Tom Bullock from Lakewood City Council. Um, and with me today are uh, 11 elected officials from 10 local governments, all Dominion Energy customers. Raise your hands, everybody and a dozen that's, more community leaders uh, working in their towns. There could have been more, but the event was sold out because you're the hot ticket. Um, 
So all of us are working like Dominion to pivot our towns from the old to the new way of doing business, the sustainable way of, of business. And I gotta tell you, it's attention grabbing in Ohio to hear a utility take the leadership stance that you've done. And I think that's worth a round of applause. And I know that you will have broad support in Greater Cleveland for the transition that you're positioning your company to make to renewable energy. So my question is, um, are you looking for partners and can we work together? Yes. I could give that's a, could I give a one word answer? Yes, no, no. Um, absolutely, look, I mean, so let me start with sort of setting aside the, the, the clean energy transition. Our company, uh, in all the places where we do business, succeeds when the communities uh, where we do business succeed. That's, that's how we, uh, we succeed financially. That's why people would want to come work for us, because these are places that are succeeding. So we start with the mindset we always want to partner with uh, local governments, because we want the communities where we do business to succeed. And we have employees who work at Dominion who are in uh, elected office in their local communities. And if not in elected office, they're serving and nonprofits. I mean, one of the great things about our industry and particularly about our company is we have a, a very community minded uh, group. So, yes, we, we uh, look forward to the opportunity to partner with local governments as you think through the transition uh, for your communities um, to a more sustainable um, business model, for lack of a better term. Good afternoon and thank you for your remarks. Um, the question I have is that low income communities spend about f four times more than high than non-low income communities as it relates to energy. So has uh, Dominion thought about uh, how they plan to work with uh, local governments and then what would be your approach to addressing that disproportionality um, to um, energy efficient spending? Yeah, so uh, it's a great uh, question. Um, you know, I mentioned a little bit in my remarks, when the pandemic started, for example, we immediately suspended disconnections for non-payment in all of our businesses. Now, we can't operate that way forever. Um, that is not sustainable. Um, but we work uh, very hard to make sure that we're working with customers, some of whom are going through a challenging period and we can maybe get them on a payment plan, some who have maybe longer term issues and we can help get energy assistance. Um, we have a pretty, uh, in uh, parts of our uh, service territory, we have a pretty active shareholder funded program to help people who uh, are having trouble pay their bills. Uh, in other places, uh, like in Ohio, there are regulatory mechanisms uh, that help folks who aren't able to pay, maybe only pay a percentage uh, of their income. Um, this is a challenge not just for our sector, obviously, but across the broader economy. If you're, you're paying, if you're lower income, you're paying a higher percentage of your income for energy, for uh, Wi-Fi, for everything. And I think what we need to do as a company is work uh, to improve the uh, sort of fundamental economics of the communities where we do business. That means helping education initiatives. Uh, that means volunteering and working in social justice organizations, which our employees do uh, regularly. Again, um, we're gonna succeed as a company if the community succeeds, and by that I mean all parts of the community. Uh, so certainly something that we work on uh, quite a bit, but as you know, it's a, it's a challenge um, to be able to address 
uh, all of those economic issues as one company. Hi, good afternoon. I'm John Mitterholzer with the George Gunn Foundation. Uh, you mentioned methane is the most potent greenhouse gas emission, and much has been written about methane leakage in the natural gas supply chain from the well pad to the pipelines. I'm wondering if you could just speak to Dominion's efforts to reduce methane emissions, yeah. and if you have any comments about the agreements that were reached at COP26 this year in Glasgow around methane. Yeah, so we start from the premise on methane of eliminating leaks off of our system. Um, so that's why uh, much of the pipeline replacement we're doing right here uh, in uh, Cleveland and throughout Ohio uh, is environmentally beneficial. Uh, we've got pipe in the ground um, that is older than anyone in this room. Um, that's a function of uh, Cleveland and the great history that this city has had. Um, it leaks. Some of it leaks. And by replacing it, we can reduce those leaks. And then we can do those projects in a way that also reduces leaks. So last time I was here, for example, uh, I got to go out and watch a pipeline replacement project we were doing where we used what's called a ZVAC machine. Um, this is not something that our, uh, that our business used even a couple years ago when we would do a pipeline replacement project. There are just times where you'd have to vent methane out into the atmosphere um, as you're uh, making a connection or um, uh, removing pipe. With this machine, it's sort of like a bypass that allows the methane to stay in our pipeline system while we're doing the project. Those kinds of things, uh, those kinds of incremental advancements add up to an enormous difference over time. Um, and, uh, as I pointed out, we think that uh, renewable natural gas also uh, has a role to play. So I don't think there's any one sort of home run uh, baseball town here, I know. Uh, I know there's no one home run, but I think there are a lot of singles and doubles out there, certainly ones that we're working on uh, and ones that we'll continue to focus on going forward. Hi, I have a text question. I'm scrolling up to it, thank you. Hopefully it's not one of my kids. <laughs> a few years ago, Dominion Energy Ohio moved its dispatch functions to North Carolina after almost 120 years of safe and efficient operations here in Ohio. Will you please consider moving gas dispatch back to Ohio in the near future? Uh, yeah, so I'm, look, I'm, that, these kinds of questions, we're a multi-state business. And as I mentioned, we focus on affordability, reliability, sustainability. Our customers and the people who own our company expect us to be as efficient as we possibly can. And if we're able to move operations, consolidate in some instances, uh, in order to be more efficient, those are things that we look at. We don't take those decisions lightly, ever, uh, whenever we're talking about moving jobs. And it's not something that we do commonly, uh, but it is something that we do because we are focused on providing the best customer service. Uh, we're focused on uh, being as efficient as we can, and we're also focused on making sure that our employees have a good place to work. As we balance those things, we make decisions sometimes that uh, certain groups uh, are not happy about. I understand that, um, but we think it's in the best interest of our customers long term. Hi, Mr. Chairman. Uh, you had mentioned you all are experimenting with blending hydrogen yes. into natural gas lines. Do you have any idea what the hydrogen blend is going to do to the rates that you now currently have? 
Right. How, is it going to cost more, is your question? Yeah, so no, because we don't yet have enough. Uh, we're focused right now on the engineering of it. Um, so uh, hydrogen burns hotter than methane does. So as you blend hydrogen in, you need to make sure that you do it in a way that works for people's appliances, whatever vintage they may be. So that's been our focus so far, sort of on that engineering issue. Um, as we move forward and we figure out what our source of hydrogen may be, we'd have a better understanding of the effect on customer bills. But again, it will go back to balancing, as I mentioned, these fundamentals. Can we do this in a way that maintains reliability? And can we do this in a way that maintains affordability? And obviously, ultimately, uh, we will have to make a case to regulators um, as we want to do this going forward. I think there are great opportunities, uh, but I can't tell you at the moment what the price would be. Good afternoon. My name is Divya. Thank you for your um, thank you for your um, presentation today. Talk today. Uh, my question really is: um, What responsibility does Dominion take um, have to leave communities, if not better off, um, or at least carbon neutral, doing everyday business here? Yeah, we have thank a substantial you. obligation to do that, and we're very focused on it. That's obviously uh, what I was talking about over the course of the last uh, 20 minutes or so. Um, we're all, all 17,000 of my colleagues who work here and in Utah and in North and South Carolina, West Virginia and Virginia, we're all members of the communities that we serve. We all live in the places that we serve and we want to live in communities that are sustainable for the long term. Um, so we take that obligation very seriously, which is why uh, we've made so many, uh, so much progress over the course of the last few years. I mean, our company has reduced carbon emissions by 43% since 2005 at Dominion Energy. Um, so we're going to continue to focus on that as part of those fundamentals that I talked about, reliability, affordability, and sustainability. I am highly confident in the ability of our team uh, and of our communities to make this transition uh, to get us to net zero by 2050. Uh, it's a commitment that we made a couple of years ago, one that we're already making good progress toward, uh, and one that we're very much committed to uh, achieving. My name is Patrick O'Connor from the Rocky River Green Team. Mr. Blue, thank you for making the time to come to Cleveland and share your story. Like Dominion, Cleveland is trying to lead the way in clean energy, clean transportation, and environmental justice with projects like wind turbines in Lake Erie, protected bike lanes, and weatherizing old homes. What can we learn from you? And do you see ways we can team up? Thank you. Uh, the answer to the second part of the question is uh, absolutely. I think we can learn from each other is maybe the way I would describe it. Um, you know, we have, uh, we have uh, a, a very strong team of engineers who have focused on these kinds of projects for some time. Um, so we're doing an offshore wind, as I mentioned, a, a, an offshore wind project. Uh, we're building a vessel, which I don't think I would have predicted a few years ago that we'd be in the shipbuilding business. Uh, interestingly, our, the head of that business unit used to be in the Navy, and he always told me, 
that, he, uh, that he's always wanted to get a boat, but his wife would never allow it. And I called him and said, I think I've got a solution to your problem. Um, so what I would say, maybe, uh, that's uh, a little lighthearted way to say, is that we all need to keep about thinking differently, maybe the ways that we didn't think just a few years ago. And, and again, this is not uh, unique to our company. Our industry uh, is very focused on this uh, across the board, both electric and gas. We recognize uh, that we need to become more sustainable. The constituents of the local government officials in this room are asking for it. Our customers are asking for it. Um, and so I think what I would say is that we can work with each other to understand um, uh, both the science and physics of the problem, as I discussed, and the, the community and political issues, and make sure we work through and undertake what we need to undertake in a way that works for everyone. And that's a complicated problem, and we're not uh, at our company, um, you know, our expertise, again, is in getting projects done um, but working with communities, we learn an awful lot about how to do it uh, in a way that works for everyone in the long term. So I might suggest that the way we can work together is to be sure we're talking to each other and that both sides are listening and taking advantage of what they hear from the other. Um, a lot more listening and a lot less yelling, I think, would be really good in society today, which is, of course, what makes this forum so spectacular. Uh, Mr. Blue, thanks for your presentation. What should state legislatures in particular do to promote the transition to the sustainable energy future you aspire to? Yes, I, I mean, every state's going to do this a little bit differently, I, I think, and uh, that's fine. So uh, some states uh, will set very aggressive uh, targets for uh, their companies that they have to meet. Uh, other states will look for more market-based approaches, um, and every state has to recognize, again, sort of the political environment that they're in. So I don't believe that there is a one-size-fits-all solution here, um, and no one would care if I did think there was a one-size-fits-all solution. They're going to respond uh, to their own um, constituent wants and needs. But I guess what I would say, back to my remarks, is the more that all of us uh, can focus on um, science and physics and not faith in one extreme or another, the better the policies are going to be uh, as we move forward with this transition. Today at the City Club, we've been hearing from Robert Blue, he's Chair, President, and Chief Executive Officer at Dominion Energy. Today's forum is the annual Richard W. and Patricia R. Pogue Endowed Forum, made possible by a generous gift from Dick and Pat Pogue, and we're delighted to have Dick with us today. Thank you so much for your longstanding commitment to City Club. We would also like to welcome guests at tables hosted by Dominion Energy Community Partners, Dominion Energy Ohio, Don Wartco Construction, Doxum, and uh, McDonald Hopkins, Northeast Ohio Local Government Clean Energy Caucus, and Taft Law. Thank all of you for being with us today. And a special thanks to the, the team at Dominion, especially Heather Clayton Terry and Jim Ack, who helped so much with our forum today. 
Also, by the way, as you may have heard, our partners at IdeaStream Public Media are moving their news and information programming from 90.3 FM to 89.7 WKSU. So starting next Friday, April 1st, when we hear from the president of Spelman, you will find our live Friday Forum broadcast on 89.7 FM and starting 30 minutes earlier at 12 noon. We're grateful to our partners at IdeaStream Public Media for sharing in our 94-year commitment to live forum broadcasts, of, uh, and we really appreciate that. You can learn more about that change at cityclub.org. That brings us to the end of our forum. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for being a part of this today. I'm Dan Malthrop. Have a great weekend. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.